Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I am your host, J.D. Davis. This is going to be episode one of J.D.'s Sack of Relige. Uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of a softball tonight. Uh, we will be covering most every Christian-based uh, denomination um, and what they use and do to manipulate the people to keep them in fear and obeying their stupid rules. Um, we're going to start with the, uh, the Catholic fucking church, pun intended, tonight and um, go over just some of their basic beliefs and how they come about having those. We're not going to really do the history of the Catholic church. I mean, they believe that Peter was the first pope and everything descended from Peter and that he was given that charge when he and Jesus had an interaction about, I'm going to build, you know, I'm going to build my rock on you and my church on you. Uh, we're not going to go into that just because, yeah, that's going to take forever. So what we're going to do is just basically hit some of the highlights. Um, baptism, prayer to the saints, the different types of sins and mortal sins, and forgiveness of sins will be a big part of it. So we'll just kind of go through those topics and how it is used to basically trap individuals. And first off, I need to say that the Catholic Church probably has the most successful business model ever created by human. Um, it has been around forever, and they have successfully ruled, created armies, created wars, fought wars, created titles, changed kings. They have successfully intertwined themselves into every major historical kingdom since their inception. So tip of the hat to those brilliant bastards for that. Um, but let's just start off with kind of the the big one that I always just drives me fucking crazy, and that's forgiving sins. Um, as the title hits uh, hints to it, you know the famous "Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned" is the line used by people when they're going to the confession to uh, tell the priests their sins. Which, first off, let me just be honest: is like isn't that just creepy as fuck? I mean, going into a little box and just whispering your little secrets to some pervert on the other side and he telling you some Latin words, giving you a cross, slapping you on the ass and sending you out just free as a bird. I mean, it's just, if you just can take a step back, like how fucked up is that? And they get this belief that they are commanded and giving the authority, giving the authority to forgive sins from John 20. So John 20, 19 through 23 is when Jesus reappears to the disciples and after his crucifixion crucifixion, and tells them, hey, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even I send you. Um, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So that's where they gather their absolution, which goes like this. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was going to try to do it in Latin, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not, because uh, I took two semesters of Spanish, and that didn't go very well, so I figured a 30-second um, crash course in Latin probably would, would go even worse. Um, 
But this idea that because Jesus came, gave them the Holy Spirit and says, hey, get the power now that I'm giving you. You go out and continue the work I started here, introducing people to me, Jesus. And showing them that forgiveness of sins comes from the sacrifice that I just made. And so they get this idea that now that they are the priest of Jesus, which is another thing we all are, according to Jesus, we are all part of the priesthood. Um, but according to they're the special priests that can absolve, absolve sin and send you on your way to, you know, heaven is pretty fucking absurd. It is basically taking the power that Jesus conquered on the cross and bringing it back to Old Testament times of having to go to a priest to offer a sacrifice when you sin. And the way they do this is they have different levels of sinning and different, it's Old Testament model. Different levels of sin require different types of penances and you know, some may just go, you know, do five Hail Marys and, you know, call it good, you know. And so you get an individual, a flawed, fucked up individual that is going to be passing on judgment based off of whatever he wants um, to pass on. Uh, and so we get, we see that and let me go to my notes, sorry. Also, first pod, not very good with the whole um, breaking and finding my notes part, so hang with me. Ah, Hebrews, thank you. Hebrews 4.14 and Hebrews 7.25 is where Jesus is saying that he is the high priest and he intercedes for us to the Father. And so they're saying, hey, yeah, we're great with you praying to Jesus, but hey, you know, he says we can forgive sins too. And so it's not us forgiving it, it's the Holy Spirit through Jesus, but my always my biggest problem with this is just like they put sainthoods onto the apostles, did Jesus give the Holy Spirit to select few or did he give it to all that receive him? Did he give the Holy Spirit that empowered people to write those letters that are held as gospel Jesus spoke words that are that has the ability to heal and to forgive? Did he give that to individual select number of people or was this going to be the gift that he sent to all people that believe in Jesus? Because if it's for all of us, then why don't I just say, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'll forgive my own sins. No big deal. I'm a priest. I got the Holy Spirit. What's the difference of that priest there? So you know what, JD? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're good to go, bro. Don't worry about it. And you know what? You don't even have to do any Hail Marys. I got you covered. Good to go. And the absurdity that they can keep you, and they only have the same things you have. It's just that they have a nice little gown. God knows what's underneath of it. A nice little gown, something around their neck, some beads, and can tell you, nope, you're forgiven if you do X, Y, Z. It's absurd. The second one that kind of falls along those same lines is they also say, hey, another really cool thing is we got these boxes over here. You can drop a couple of coins in. Light some goddamn candles and pray to some saints because, you know, who wants to pray to Jesus all the time? That could get boring. You know, you get to pray to the same dude over and over and over again. Let's throw in a few of these saints that we made up for you. And we'll give specific talents that they have. And you just go over there and be like, bro, 
can you please ask Jesus, because I've been asking and it hasn't worked, can you please ask Jesus to grant me X, Y, Z of your special powers and your special name of Saint, you name it. Can you ask him while you're up there, tap him on the shoulder, be like, listen, JD tossed in a whole five bucks and you know the stingy bastard JD is. He gave five bucks to ask me to come tell you, to come tell the father, if you'd please just grant him this one wish, he'd be really thankful. The absurdity and the, and the absolute madness of this just makes you want to just slap your mother, not Pam. She probably is listening, one of the three people. So Pam, I would never slap you. I'd slap someone else's mother, just for the record. But the absurdity of praying to saints is insane. The way that they justify this is by saying, no, Jesus, you know, and all the, Jesus said it's great to have other people pray for you. And he asked prayer when he was in the garden, God said to me, and, you know, Paul's letters, they all say it's so important that you're praying for people, praying for people, praying for people. And they say, so if we pray for each other on earth, why wouldn't you want the big dog apostles and saints praying for you in heaven? It would just make sense. And we have one verse that talks about the saints in heaven pouring out the bowls of the prayers of the saints to the Father. And it's in Revelation of all places. If y'all have ever read Revelation, it is like you are on an acid trip, or so I'm told, reading a book. It's like Alice in Wonderland. It is a lot of imagery. It is a lot of stuff that isn't literal. So the idea that they are going to justify this through a verse in Revelation and people are like, I'm good with it. Fuck yeah. Let me pray to Saint, name it. Or let me pray to Mary. She seems like a cool lady. Let's go with her. It is insane. And that will break in, I think I'll have to do this on another one, that breaks into the idea that they believe, like most Christians, that when you die, you go straight to heaven. And you're chilling with Jesus in heaven, on the streets. If not, fucking burning in hell for all eternity, despite if you were only nine years old and just past the age of understanding where you could have accepted it, just missed it, sorry, died in a car wreck. Even though you only spent a limited amount of time, nine years on earth, you will now burn in the worst torture that you can imagine for an infinity amount of time because I'm a just God. So that's where they use this whole, we can forgive sins, you need to be baptized or else you don't have forgiveness of sins and you're going to burn in hell. They use fear of hell, like a lot of other Christian religions as well, fear of hell to terrify people into doing what they say, to terrify people into making sure they go to the mass, to terrify people into making sure that they're dropping their coins and lighting their fucking candles like good little Catholic boys and girls. And then we all know what else goes on in the Catholic church because when you give someone absolute power and a God complex, fucked up shit happens. It just does. Oh, I'm trying to think of this phrase, absolute power. Uh, I'll come back to that one. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Something like absolute power corrupts absolutely or something like that. But that's the situation we have here. So praying to the saints, believing that they are in heaven through our one verse in Revelation and that they are actually alive and not buried and dead in Christ where he says the dead in Christ will rise, rise first and then there will be either eternal life 
or the second death, which I guess some people can interpret as burning alive for all eternity, which I don't really know how. But one of the really cool verses that I was going over talks about, um, it's in John 10. And this is where Jesus is telling the Pharisees about being the good shepherd. So if you looked at the Old Testament and the model that the Old Testament set up, there was a priesthood, there was an entire tribe of priests, and their role was to serve as a go-between or the mediator between God and man because we hadn't had the sacrifice of Jesus yet that bridged that gap. So you have mediators in the form of priests, and these priests were to perform the duties and the sacrifices and observe the holy days keep people in line, to sprinkle the blood on the altar, to do all the things the priests are supposed to do. And they didn't inherit, inherit a, uh, a land. Their inheritance came from the tax or something you probably still hear about today called tithe. They got a 10% tax from Israel, and that's what sustained them, as well as when they did the sacrifices, the goats and the turtle doves and the bulls, they ate the food as well. And so you had this model of priesthood. And in Ezekiel 34, God's talking to Ezekiel and he said, you know what? We tried this whole priesthood with man and it sucked and it fleeced my sheep. It, they took advantage of the situation. You can read throughout even um, Samuel's sons what they did. Each priest situation, obviously there were great ones and there were terrible ones. But God says, didn't work. We tried it. They fleeced the people. It was disaster. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put away the wicked shepherds and replace them with the good shepherd. There's going to be one shepherd now. We're not doing this. Here's your priesthood. Here's your shepherds to go over the flock. I'm going to do one shepherd, and I'm going to equip my sheep with the Holy Spirit, and I will be the good shepherd. So in John 10, he's coming down. He gives a parable about... You know, I am the gate, they are my sheep, they hear my voice, they come to me. And he says it multiple times, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And this is the blasphemy they talk about a lot because he's calling himself God and calling himself the son of God and calling himself the one shepherd of God's people. But he says something very interesting. He says, and I will give my sheep eternal life. And it's the same thing that Jesus did when he was talking to the woman at the well. He tells her, hey, I got a gift that will quench thirst for eternity. I have eternal life, and I am the water, and I'm eternal life. So my question is, if we are all born with eternal life or immortality, that when we die, we go somewhere, and we will remain somewhere forever, then how the fuck could someone give you something that you already have? Because... According to the Catholics and according to most Christian groups as well, the gift of eternal life, I just, oh, that's just a way of saying you get to go to heaven. No, he's saying I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life because when you die, you are in the ground awaiting the rise of the saints. When he says, when the trumpet blows, the dead in Christ rise first. Be kind of tough to rise up from the dead if you're already up in heaven helping pour out some prayers from the nickel and dime jars that are in, you know, your local, uh, your local church. So you don't automatically have eternal life. You die, you are asleep, and then 
when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ rise first, and there's a judgment of all the other dead. There is the, um, the ones that, I can't remember which, which judgment it is. I need Mark on here badly. But anyways, there's one called the second death. And that's the ones that haven't followed Jesus. Those are cast into the lake of fire and are, die the second time, meaning are gone completely. And the rest remain with Jesus. And so the way that they work is that they believe that they, the Catholic Church controls you by saying, A, you will go to hell unless we help you. B, we have the power, because we are anointed priest, to absolve your sins in case you do fuck up, which you will, and we're going to tell you how to get out of your fuck up. And then here's your steps for continuing to stay in good graces so you don't do something stupid and go to hell when you die. So it's all built around fear. And it's fucking disturbing. So this was a good trial run for the first one. Um, we'll see what we get some reviews. I'm sure we'll have, you know, a mixed review. Maybe a, you know, grab bag of different kind of things. Uh, please leave some comments. Send me your, your thoughts. And as always, stay classy.